This is George Mueller. He and his wife uh, labored for many years, uh, many years ago, on behalf of orphans. They're quite well known. If you, if you Google it, it'll pop right up. This is George Mueller. And so he is well known for his work with orphans. Now, he started his preaching ministry in 1832. And after leading a congregation for about four years, God began to move in his heart and the, wife, in the heart of his wife on behalf of orphans. And God began to stir him to, to do something to address the huge needs that he saw around him. So many kids without moms, without dads, suffering in the streets of England. And so God began to move in his heart. So in 1836, this work began with his wife. And they prepared their own rented home at 6 Wilson Street in Bristol, England, for the accommodation of 30 young girls. 30 young girls who were suffering on the streets with no mom, no dad, nobody looking out for their welfare. And they were moved not just to pray about the need, but they were moved to act. And that, and that first you know, initiative was they accommodated 30 girls. And we're going to continue his story later, but the important point for us to remember this morning is that God moved the hearts of George and his wife, not just to be concerned about the orphans, not just to feel bad for the orphans' plight, but he moved them to take action to meet the need. Now think about a time in your life when God moved your heart to action. What was the process like for you? I know what it's been like for me is, is God will make me aware of a need. He'll make me aware of something that's going undone. And so my first thing that I do is I always say, God, you really should do something about that, right? God, you know, you really need to address this issue. But then over time, as God begins to move in your heart, you start to wonder if maybe, just maybe, he's asking you to be the answer to your own prayer and that he's asking you to take action. Now, eventually, you begin to feel that you need to answer your own prayer, and through your participation, God does something unexpected. Now, today, we're going to begin discussing the story of Nehemiah. Over the next several weeks, we're going to see the story of Nehemiah unfold, of how God took a man, he moved him, he broke his heart to the point that he was ready to act, and that God used Nehemiah to complete what seemed like an impossible task. That's what we're going to be sharing over the next several weeks, and we're going to see an incredible example of God moving someone's heart to the point that they're affected by the need, and they're moved beyond prayer, they're moved beyond prayer to actual participation. Through this series of messages, my prayer is that God will begin to stir our hearts to meet needs, you know, as a body to meet needs, and as individuals that God will be moving on your heart and my heart to reach out and address those needs that he brings before us. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This will be the first section that we deal with this morning. And I'm going to read through it one time, and then I'm going to come back and take it, you know, verse by verse and pull out the key thoughts here this morning. Beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So, you know, Nehemiah is concerned for his countrymen, who they've been taken back from exile, and they're living in Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So, looking back quickly at verse 3. Those who survived the exile are back in the province and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is the situation that Nehemiah's countrymen are facing. Now reviewing back Israel's history briefly, God chose a man to become a nation. We talked about this before, Abraham. God, then Abraham's descendants end up in through circumstances... They end up in Egypt, they end up in slavery, and then God miraculously rescues them from slavery. And then God leads this nation to conquer and occupy the land of Canaan. And then God leads them a period of time through the judges and through the kings. Then there's the golden age of leadership of David and Solomon where there's power, there's influence, there's prestige. This man that God chose has become a great nation, a powerful nation, a force to be reckoned with, with a powerful God leading them. But then the kingdom splits. You know, one of David's sons has a problem. And then over time, because of sin and rebellion, first the northern kingdom, which is Israel, they, because of rebellion, they are conquered by Assyria. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, is conquered by Babylon. And then they're shipped off into exile for 70 years. And after 70 years, the exiles are able to return to Jerusalem from Babylon. But the city was in shambles. The people were suffering there was poverty, there was hardship, and this moved Nehemiah's heart, this desperate condition. So what is the definition of a desperate condition this morning? It is a situation where we are incapable of turning things around on our own. It's a situation where you and I are incapable of turning things around on our own. And that is exactly what was happening in Jerusalem that Nehemiah saw. It was a desperate condition. It was a difficult time. Verse 4, look at Nehemiah's response. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He mourned. He was in deep sorrow. He fasted. He literally couldn't eat. He prayed to God to do something about it. So what I would say to you this morning is he was focused on the need. He was focused on the need. Now, can you think about a time in your life when you were so focused on a problem, on a need that, that you couldn't eat, 
that you were so focused on a problem or a need that you lost sleep, that you focused on it, that you prayed about it. You were so disturbed in your spirit about this need. And this is how affected Nehemiah was by the plight of his countrymen. Verse 5, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. So Nehemiah prays to God. And what does he say? First of all, he says, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're great. You're awesome. You keep your covenant of love with those who love you and obey your commands. He's saying, I know who you are, God. And I know your track record. You know, there was written tradition. There was oral tradition that he's referring to. He knows something about this God. And he's, and he's making an informed request based on who God is. God's track record. His character. His capability. He's saying, God, I know who you are. And I know your track record. And because of that, I'm crying out to you. I'm praying that you will respond. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. And, the, and for your servants, the people of Israel. So he's saying, be attentive to my prayer for your people. Now what is Nehemiah acknowledging here? My prayer for your people. What is he acknowledging? He's saying that God cared first. Historically, God cared first for Israel and that God has cared all along. And that's the kind of God that we serve. Even before we cared, even before it was brought to our attention, even before our hearts were moved, God cared first and God has cared all along. So he says, let your ear be attentive, O Lord. Let your eyes be open to the suffering. Continuing on in verse 6. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Now, this is interesting. Nehemiah, he says, I, what he's saying is, I confess. I confess our sin. Now, was Nehemiah personally involved in the rebellion that caused all this trouble? This was pr more than 70 years pr previous to this. But what is he doing? He's saying, I confess our sin. Our sin has gotten us into this mess. He's not just saying their sin. He's saying our sin has gotten us into this mess. He owns his part, right? Even if it's only on behalf of his family. So look at the man Nehemiah confessing not just their sin, and not even just his sin, but he's confessing our sin. And at this time, as we know, Israel was in a relationship with God that was started at Mount Sinai. It's a, called a covenant, but it's basically a contract. It's a contract. And God says, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, then you will be punished. So that's the agreement that they're under at this point. Continuing on in verses 8 and 9. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So this is it. This, this, this is the contract. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So God does two things. He has a contract with Israel. If you obey, I bless if you disobey, I punish. But there's also a promise. There's a promise that's not based on the contract. He's saying, if you'll call upon my name, 
then I will take care of you and I will bring you back. So what are, what are we saying here? God's, what Nehemiah understood about God, he knew who he was, he knew what he was capable of, he knew that he had an agreement with Israel that had stipulations, that had conditions. Now we're all familiar with this, a contract. But he knew that God's promises were greater than the contract. He knew that God's promises were greater than the contract. Now even though God was well within the conditions of the agreement to execute judgment, I mean, this, this was fair, this was reasonable, but God's ears are still open to the pleas of his people. Now, what does this tell us about the God that we serve? Even though he's well within his rights to execute judgment, but he's merciful. He's merciful. And what does mercy mean? It means that you and I don't get what we deserve. So the people of Israel that Nehemiah is confessing sin on behalf of, They'd gotten what they deserved according to the agreement. But he knows that, they, that he serves a God who's merciful and that he, if they call upon God, if they cry out to God to meet the need, to, to move, to act, that God will and that God is open to the pleas of his people because he's merciful. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. So what is he saying here? He's saying, Lord, think of what you've already done for Israel. Think of what you've done for them already, historically. Think of how you've glorified yourself through them. Think of how, to some extent, God, your reputation is bound up with them. Think of what you've done, God. Think of all that you've accomplished. Think of the miracles that you've done, the ways that you've rescued this people already. And may that motivate you to act again on their behalf. And then finally, verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So he's saying, Lord, hear not just my prayer, but the prayers of your other servants. What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm not the only one praying, God. I'm not the only one who cares about this situation. So you see him pleading with God to act. And then finishing up verse 11, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. But he's saying, I'm not the only one praying, God. There's a, there's a number of us crying out to you. And it, it reminds me of a story in Genesis chapter 18. Do you remember it? When God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the angel's talking to Abraham and Abraham's basically doing a negotiation with God. He's saying, God, now you're about to do something serious. I mean, you're about to, to do what you said you would do, but, it, but if there's 50 righteous people who are seeking you, would you really execute judgment? And God says, no, 50, no. And then he says, now, be patient with me, God, but what about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? Would you rescue the city for 10 people? And God, said, yeah. God says, yes. And what are we learning about God a God who's powerful, a God who's righteous, a God who has standards. But what we're learning is that God's servants, they have leverage with him. God's servants have leverage with him. And also in this verse, Nehemiah is acknowledging that his success depends upon God. Give your servant success today. And so what is he asking? It's so interesting. 
He's not asking God to do something at this point. He's asking God to grant him favor as he does something. He's asking God to grant him favor as he prepares to act. Now, this is a way that God still operates today, and we would be wise to ask him for favor. You know, when God moves your heart, when he moves my heart by a need, and to meet that need, we need to go beyond just prayer to participation. So here's the big lesson for today. Go ahead and pull that up, Henry. When God moves your heart, when God really moves your heart like he moved the heart of Nehemiah, you're going to be ready to act. When God moves your heart, you will be ready to act. So a few questions for you this morning. Number one, is your heart broken? Is your heart broken? Have you noticed the needs? Have you noticed the needs in your family, the needs in your workplace, the needs in your school, the needs in your community, the needs in your nation? Have you noticed the needs? What desperate situations have you become aware of? And remember, what is a desperate situation? It's a situation where there's no way, there's no chance that you or I can turn this around on our own, that we're going to need intervention from an almighty God. So is your heart broken? And have you noticed the needs? And if you haven't, that's okay. That's okay. I understand. Maybe you're in in your life right now, you're really focused on your needs. You're focused on your problems. You're focused on your struggles. You're focused on your um, things that just aren't going well. But I would challenge you to pray and ask God to break your heart. Ask God to break your heart. Ask God to break your heart the way that his heart is broken. When God looks out over the landscape and he sees his creation stumbling, he sees his creation struggling, he sees his creation suffering, not just in your neighborhood, but in your county, not just in your county, but in your state, in the world, his creation is suffering and it breaks his heart. Does it break your heart? And if it doesn't, ask God to break your heart. Secondly, do you believe? Do you believe that God cares? Nehemiah obviously believed that his prayer was not falling on deaf ears. He knew enough about who God was and what he was capable of that he was crying out to God. He believed that God cared about the suffering and the struggles of his people. So do you believe that God cares? And do you believe that God is able and willing to act? Do you believe that God is able and willing to give you favor as you act? Do you believe that God is able and willing? Now, what, what is it that was so attractive to God about Nehemiah's prayer when you think about it? What was it that God was looking for that he responded to? Thinking in the New Testament about Peter's confession of faith. When he says, Jesus is the Christ, what is it that's so powerful about that declaration? What about Noah's obedience when building the ark, doing something that was ridiculous? He was derided. I mean, he was made fun of for what he did. But what was it about that that was attractive to God? What about Abel's sacrifice? What was it that was attractive to God? It was their faith. It was their faith. They believed that, that God cared. 
They believed that God cared first, and they believed that God had cared all along, and they believed that God was able and willing to change things. Their faith had leverage with God. When you want to know what moves God, you want to know what moves God? It's faith. It's believing that he is who he says he is. It's believing that he's capable of what he says he is capable of doing. And it is when you and I offer ourselves in his service to meet the needs that, with which he breaks our hearts. So do you believe that God cares and that God is able and willing? And then lastly, are you ready to ask for favor? Are you ready to ask for favor? Now, what do I mean by that? It means are you ready to take a step? And this morning, I want you to think as God breaks your heart, as you begin to realize and believe that God cared first and he's cared all along, are you now ready? Has he brought you to a point where you're ready to consider the step that he would have you take to address that desperate situation that he's laid on your heart? Are you ready to ask for favor? Because this is where we usually start and stop is we start with this. God, why don't you act? God, why don't you act? God, don't you see the needs? God, don't you see the problems? God, don't you see the suffering? Folks who've been overseas in combat or just in poverty or in our neighborhood, we see the needs and we say, God, why don't you act? And if I'm honest, oftentimes I'm just content to point out the problem, right? You and I are content to just point out the problem. But are you ready to be a part of the solution? Do you love analysis? I mean, we love this, right? We love analysis and just say, I know what's going on. You want to know what's wrong? I'll tell you. You don't want to know what the problem is? I'll be happy to tell you. I see it clearly. I'll tell you exactly what's going on. Do you love analysis but suffer from paralysis? Do you love analysis, but when it comes to acting, do you suffer from paralysis? Because here's the truth. Change never happens from thinking. Never. Change never happens from thinking. I think this. And when you, you want to know about that? I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you, here, let's look at this. I'll tell you what I think. I know exactly what's going on. I've got it all analyzed. I've got it all figured out. I think this, and I think this is wrong, and I think that's wrong. Let me tell you what I think. Just ask me. But change never happens from thinking. Change happens when thinking people act. Change never happens from feeling, I feel this, and I feel that, and I feel like this is wrong, and I feel like that's wrong, and I feel like this is right, and I feel like that's right, and this is what we need to do. I feel, I feel, I really feel it. But change never happens from feeling. Change happens when feeling people act. And sadly, change never happens from believing. Can I get an amen? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe this, and I believe that, and I believe this is wrong, and I believe that's wrong, and I believe this is the direction we need to go, and I believe this is what we need to do. I believe. I believe. But change never happens from believing. Change happens when believing people act. And here's the bottom line this morning, is that heads and hearts are not enough. Heads and hearts are not enough. God needs hands. God needs hands, feet, 
Heads and hearts are not enough. God needs hands. So my prayer for you and for me that is by the end of this series, hopefully by the end of today, that you'll be ready to ask, God, grant me favor as I act. God, grant me favor as I act. Not, God, why don't you act? But God, grant me favor as I act. Because Scripture is full of examples. Our God is powerful. And he even claims that he, has, he can control kings. He likens it to a stream of water. And he can direct that stream whichever way he chooses. God has influence. God can open doors. God can move kings, which we're going to see in this story. And what he needs is people who are willing to ask for his favor as they act. Now think about Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer. He had position. He had influence. He could have prayed for God to raise up somebody he could support, right? He could have said, God, you know, I see this need and you've put me in such a great position. Why don't you raise up somebody else who's willing to act and I'll just support him, you know? I've got money. I've got influence. I'll provide camels. I mean, Nehemiah was in a perfect position to just assist but he didn't stop there. Had he taken this position, he would have missed out on an incredible opportunity to both know God and see him work. Now, what if we would be willing to plead with God in view of his character and his capability? What if we would bring to him desperate conditions and beg him for favor as we take steps to address them? What adventures might be in store for us? What desperate conditions have grabbed your attention in this season of your life? Have they moved you to be willing, not just to ask God to act, but to move beyond prayer to participation and take steps? Let me give you a few examples this morning. Because I believe this is so important. If your heart's not broken yet, then you need to pray for God to break your heart. Struggling marriages. Substance abuse. Child victims, loneliness, poverty. Is your heart broken? Victims of fraud, homelessness, the consequences of drunk driving, terminated pregnancies, trafficking. How many of these tragic circumstances? are symptoms of preventable causes. Is your heart broken? If, it's, if your heart is not broken yet, my prayer is that you would ask God to break your heart today. Go ahead and bring up the last photograph. I know it's not zoomed in very well, but after Mueller's initial project of welcoming 30 girls into his home, into their home, three more houses in Wilson Street were furnished. Not only for girls, but also for boys and younger children. Eventually, increasing the capacity for children who could be cared for to 130. So God had moved him to act. And there's, it's well documented. Many, many days, George Mueller would seek God's favor, would seek God's intervention so that they could work. He would seek God's help so that they could work. And God would provide again and again in miraculous ways. So now we've got 130 kids who are off the street. They've got a home. They've got a warm bed. They've got food because somebody cared enough 
to act. And the story continues. In 1845, as growth continued, this is in England, the neighbors complained about the noise and the disruption to public utilities. So Mueller decided that a separate building designed to house 300 children was necessary. And in 1849, in this location, in Ashley Down, in Bristol, England, opened. Now, it was only just one home at that point. But by May 26, 1870, it had expanded to five homes, as you can see. And the architect who did the design asked if he could do it for free. So he was moved by what they were doing to meet these needs. And by 1870, 1,722 children were being accommodated in these five homes. And so we see a perfect example of somebody whose heart was broken, somebody who God moved them to be aware of a need, to be moved by the need, and to be moved beyond prayer to participation. And that's my prayer for us during this series, is that God would move each one of us to move beyond prayer and to actually get, get past just using our heads, which is what we're so tempted to do. We can think something to death, can't we? We can think it all out. We can feel it real strong with our hearts. But it's only when our hands get engaged that things change. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning. And we're so thankful for your word and the lessons that it has to teach us. And so, God, I pray that you would move our hearts to recognize what the needs are in our lives, in our communities, God. But that we wouldn't stop there. That you would challenge us, God, to be willing to be the answer to our own prayers. That we'd be willing to take small steps toward meeting those needs, God. God, we love you and, and we confess to you that we're often just unaware. We're just unaware of all that's going on, God. We kind of turn a blind eye to the suffering and the needs around us. Not out of malice, not because we're mean but just because we're distracted and we've got so much going on, God. I'm just trying to make it through the week, just trying to get, a, get enough money to pay that bill, just trying to stay healthy enough to avoid the doctor or just trying to deal with the aftermath of a medical visit. So, God, we just pray that you would help us and give us a little bit to clear space in our lives so that we'll be ready, God, to move beyond thinking, to move beyond feeling bad, but to move to where we're ready to act. We praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.